Ephesus, which is Asia, of that area. We're going to look at a map of that in a minute, and we'll start to unpack that. So we went for two weeks talking about what about tongues, and then we did one week on what about prophecy or what about the prophetic. And remember, I played you a recording of a prophetic word that was spoken over Annette and I by some young 20-something on fire for Jesus, frothing at the mouth, no fear whatsoever, 20-somethings that are so in love with Jesus, they don't care what the world says about them. That's what I love about the next generation. Those are millennial, and I love the millennial generation because they are going to go do something that's going to make a difference. They're world changers by nature. It's their whole generation's wired that way. It just needs to be directed, right? Captured, directed in the, in the, 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 the direction of Jesus and the gospel and just turn them loose and let them go. Bible and a passport, they'll change the world. So... So we talked about that. So here's, what, here's my survey question. I already told you guys, the, the secret's out. I pray in a prayer language every day, especially in the shower. It's like the best place. And driving. Sometimes I really need to do it driving, especially when I'm on the I-10 over by the rim. So, you know, I, I, pr- I try to stay in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit. How many of you have, since we begin t- teaching this, would say, you know what, I've actually... I've, Got a prayer language now. God gave me a prayer language. New, fresh, sweet. Anybody else? No shame in the game. Great, Tracy. Anybody else? Anybody else get a prayer language or a word? Or maybe the starting of. Maybe you're just starting to step into it. Anybody? Awesome, awesome, awesome for you. Great. So God's leading us, guiding us, growing us, developing us. And here's the deal. It's baby steps. I worked for Dave Ramsey. We're all about baby steps. So we baby step into the next thing, and we just go on the journey. And the thing is that we're inviting everybody to come along. Let's go together. Let's discover. Let's learn. It's part of that discover piece. So I'm going to go to the next slide. We'll keep moving. I'm just kind of reminding you of some, these are some foundational constructs. I'm not going to go back all over those, but those are just our idea. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just to give you the key thought there, our passion is to be faithful to the Scriptures and not to shy away from difficult, confusing, or controversial passages or texts. We understand the Holy Spirit's our teacher, and we believe that context is king. We want to understand the Bible in its setting. So there is one agenda there here, and His name is Jesus. If y'all want these, I see you've got your phones up and stuff, just let me know and I can, I can get those to you. Uh, via email, or I can throw them on Facebook, whatever helps for you. Five foundational. Here's number two. Our desire should be this. Father, I want everything you have for me, nothing more, but nothing less. We've settled for subpar. We've settled for below ground zero, where we're at negative five, we're feeling pretty good about ourselves. What about, what about living life above ground? Getting back to ground zero to say, this is what's normative for a follower of Jesus, and not thinking that because I haven't experienced it, it must not be true, but maybe thinking, I haven't experienced it only because I didn't know. And there's no shame in this. A lot of us have just never been taught about a prayer language, about the prophetic, about the grace gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's no shame in that. It's just you didn't know. Ignorance is not bliss, by the way, right? And I don't want to remain ignorant when there's more that I get to lean into. And I always say this, we don't press into, we rest into. 
So it's not like, oh, I gotta go after this. I gotta grip my teeth, and I gotta, you know, we don't go all West Texas here. I gotta pull myself by my own bootstraps. I gotta grab the bull by the horns. I gotta jerk the slack out of my chain, and I can keep going with these cliches. I was raised in West Texas. I'm like a calf looking at a new gate. Okay, I'm gonna stop. So we don't we don't make it happen for ourselves. All that is is self-effort. And the result of that will be massive frustration. And you'll just pull, fall into a works mentality. No, we live by grace, right? It's by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourself. So we lean in, we rest in to who He is. So Father, I want everything you have. We'll let the Bible interpret the Bible. This is what's so awesome about the Scriptures. The Bible interprets itself. The Bible speaks to itself. It's not in contradiction to itself. So many people, oh, there's contradictory. No, no, no. It's not if you know the history. It's not if you know the language. It's not if you understand the whole picture here. It's a beautiful thing that God has given us. But He's left enough room for mystery. I, I, God is genius, right? He's left enough room for mystery so that we can't just figure it all out because then think we have the corner on the market of truth. We become that church that says something to this effect. We're the only ones going to heaven. And unless you get baptized into our church, then, you know, sorry, you know. And your baptism and your denomination is invalid. Really? Isn't it funny how we just we, we move, go down those paths and we so miss the heart of Jesus? We so miss the heart of a father, a good father, when we turn him into an ogre? sitting on our old rusty throne and just mad at everybody, and then we're afraid to approach Him. No wonder we can't worship. We're afraid of Him. The fear He talks about in, in the Scripture is reverence and awe. Where you just, all you can do when you're in His presence, you don't cower in fear, you stand before Him because He says, come boldly before the throne of grace. And when you do that, you stand before Him and you just recognize how awesome He is. That's recognizing the awe of God. You're in awe of Him. He is Truly awesome. Amen? That doesn't strike terror in me. It strikes joy. It stirs up. Wow. I get to be with my father. My daddy was, was the kind of daddy. He, he was a fireman in those early years and, and through most of my life. Whenever daddy was home, I don't know about you with your dad, I always wanted to please him and I always wanted to do it by showing off. We have any other boys in the room? <laughs> we all wanted to show off and impress our dad. We want our dad to be proud of us, did we not? And I remember I would play, and, and when he would show up, if we were playing hot box, that means th you know, throwing baseball, running back and forth during baseball season, man, I'd throw harder, I'd run faster, I'd pick up my game when my daddy was present. Why? Because I wanted to please him. I wanted to impress him. So I would play harder. I'd play with more passion, more intensity. If he came to a football game, I was going to go for it more. If he came to a basketball game, I was going to be all in. And man, he was going to see me get that rebound or whatever. I, everything went up when my father was present because I loved him and I knew he loved me. And because of that, as a Christian now, when I know my father's present, I just want to please him. Not that I'm going to work harder, it's just I'm going to play harder. I'm going to enjoy more. I'm going to have fun. If I'm preaching, I'm going to preach with passion. If I'm playing guitar, I'm going to rip it up and play an Eddie Van Halen lick or two. I'm, just, I'm going to go for it because he's my father. 
we need to recognize that we have interpreted the Bible from a limited and or skewed religious worldview and that where we are today is not where God wants us to stay. Hey, thank God for our past. Amen? Thank the Lord for our heritage, for the foundations that were laid wherever we came from. I'm thankful for my heritage, but I refuse to be limited or constrained by it. I love your word. Miss Charlene, did you say grow? Yes, sir. And you're, you're 89 years young, right? Yes, sir. 89 years young, and she's saying, my word for this year is grow. How many of you think that's pretty amazing? Yes. That is awesome. You do not have one foot in the grave. There you go. You've got work to do. There's a pulse. There's a purpose. Everybody I've told about your pulse. <laughs> love it. Love it. Good. We need to remind ourselves of that, don't we? All of us. No matter what our age. So anyway, we recognize that, that, that even though we're thankful for what we've had in the past, we could all tell stories of where maybe we were limited or constrained by our religious upbringing. Maybe you were told, don't do that. Some, some of us came up in, in denominations or groups where we were told a lot more don'ts than do's. You do know there's a lot more do's in the Bible than don'ts, right? In the new covenant as a follower of Jesus under grace, there's so many do's. Do be joyful. Do laugh more. Do enjoy what God's given us. Every good thing is from the Father of lights. He's given us these gifts. He's given us life and life more abundant to the full, right? Do enjoy. Do smile. Please. I'm, I'm, I'm begging you. Please smile more. Annette reminds me constantly. She said, man, when you get intense, you, you look scary. She, 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 get your game face off and smile more. My wife constantly tells me that. Because I do. I get intense. I get excited. I get fired up. But let's not be constrained by how we were raised. Let's be thankful for it. Thank you for our heritage, Lord Jesus. Thank you for what was poured into me and what was taught to me. Uh, I came up through the Southern Baptist ranks, and so it was, I was taught about missions, Lottie Moon Christmas offering, uh, Corey Ten Boom. I was taught the, these great, the great heritage that we have. So thankful. So thankful. But there's more than just that. There's more. And... I don't know about you, but our, by the way, our one word, mine and Annette's together, it's discovery. It's or discover. Discover. So we, we did a word together because we want to keep growing. We want to keep discovering. We, we, we haven't arrived. In fact, I feel like we're just unpacking our bags. We just got here. So let's, let's keep going. Amen? Mid round. Never forget the Holy Spirit is a gentleman whose function is to reveal Jesus. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not our token. Uh, Aladdin in a lamp. He's not our, our, our three wishes. He, he's, not our, he's not our genie in a bottle. Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit Himself is here to reveal Jesus. He's the Spirit of Christ on the earth right now and living in and through us. And so we sometimes think, oh, if the Holy Spirit shows up, then we're going to have a big altar call or there's going to be a healing or whatever. You know what? That can happen. But we don't make those things the end all or the goal. They're just one more outworking of the presence of God being manifested in a very real way. What's going to happen over there tonight? There's high expectation that God's going to show up in teenagers' lives in a big way tonight. We don't know what that looks like, nor can we dictate that. Amen? Amen. 
So it's not about forms. It's about understanding he's in control and releasing that and letting him be himself. He reveals Jesus, who's the way, the truth, the life. I'm not going to go any further with that. So let's talk about the gospel paradox. We'll hit uh, Acts 19. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 19. I did for you because I love you so much. I put the scriptures on the screen because it helps me too because I don't have to go look at my thing over there. So Acts 19, we'll start one, and then we're going to keep moving. But the, the paradox here is light and dark. You're about to see an incredible story, a couple of events that happened that just revealed a paradox of the gospel. So Acts 19, we're going to talk about light and dark. Here's, I just defined paradox for us. What a paradox is, it's a situation, a person, or a thing that combines contradictory features or qualities, almost like an oxymoron kind of thing. So light and dark, black and white, hot and cold, and yet these things mesh together and work together to, to present something. And they actually, even though they're opposites, they're a paradox because they actually work together. So it's an interesting play that we're going to see in the Scriptures between light and dark. That's why I call it the paradox of the gospel. So Paul in Ephesus. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. I'll show you a map in just a second where that was. There he found some disciples and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, No, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And we've covered that, so I'm not going to stay on it. So I want to show you where we are. See my little pointer there? Ephesus is right there. This is Asia, this area. The trip, they were going this way. They made their way all the way through Greece, all the way down to Corinth. Remember 1st and 2nd Corinthians? For any of you that think we want to go back to the Bible days, you need to read 1st and 2nd Corinthians. It was a train wreck. In fact, the books were written to correct all the mess that was going on in those churches. So be careful what you wish for. So, Corinth... Hopefully we're all still growing, amen, and developing and maturing. So now he's over here, he's crossed back over, and now he's going to be in this area for about three years. That's a long time. Paul, the roaming missionary, he actually plants himself in this area for three long years. That's a long time in Paul's lifetime. And we'll read about it in just a minute. Some extraordinary things happen. Ephesus was a commercial center. Ephesus... Maybe a good comparison, Ephesus was kind of like Seattle or Austin or Nashville. It was an art center. There was all kinds of religions represented. It was kind of an anything-goes city. There was a lot of wealth and prosperity there. And uh, so it was an interesting place. And there was always something, and we're about to read some light and dark moments that happened uh, while we're there. So anyway, moving right along. So, and he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Why do we do that? Can we just read the Bible for what it says and go, yeah, that's exactly what happened. So let me say it like we should be saying it. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. No big deal, right? They were about 12 men in all, and he entered the synagogue. Now, this is where we're going to pick up. And he entered the synagogue, because remember, he would always go to the synagogue in any community that he showed up in or village or a city. Now, anybody remember what the requirement, except for you, Steve, because I already know you know this. Some of you don't know the answer. How many 
What was the prerequisite to have a synagogue in a community? Close. Ten. Yeah. Ten men. So all they needed were ten Jew Orthodox Jewish people to make up and start a synagogue. So that's how they did their synagogue planting. We'd call it church planting now, but that's how they did it as Jewish people. So apparently they had that there in Ephesus, but they didn't in other places. So he entered the synagogue. He would always go to the synagogue first and start teaching from the Old Testament Jesus from out of the Old Testament through the prophecies of Isaiah into what was happening in real time. We just see it as a New Testament now, but it was actually being written. They were living it out in real time. So he entered in the synagogue for three months, spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Don't miss that word there. He spoke boldly, spoke courageously, spoke authoritatively. You know what? We as followers of Jesus do not have to be ashamed of who we are in any given environment. Whether you step into your work environment and you're surrounded by people who are not followers of Jesus, hey, that's wonderful. That's God's will for you to be missional. That's His will for you to be an influence on them, not the other way around. Amen? So we should walk into our workplace, walk into our environments, our hobby, our hobby life, whatever that is, whatever you do. You should step into that with authority. You should step into it with boldness and with love. You don't go in there beating your Bible and throwing your Bible around. You go in there just loving people radically. If you'll just do that, you'll stand out. So, this is what he did. He was boldly reasoning, persuading with them about the kingdom of God. Verse 9, But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, Speaking evil of the way. This was referenced several times throughout the Bible, this idea of the way. And what it was, it was a way of talking about the path to salvation. Following, being a follower of Jesus. That's all they were doing. They described it that way. So they were speaking evil of the way, coming to know Jesus, his story before the congregation. So what did Paul do? He withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannius. That was a different place. What he did... Because he was in the synagogue and he was meeting resistance. Here's the thing. There comes a point where you have to realize they're not getting it. They're not with me. This can be in a relationship situation. It can be in a work situation. It can be in, it can be in anything. If they're not getting it, how much good does it do for you to stand there and beat your head against a wall? Paul realized, look, all we're getting is resistance. It's creating more problem than it is good. This... We don't need to keep doing this. And Jesus talked about this in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't take that which is holy and constantly throw it out there to be trampled upon. And so Paul recognized, hey, this isn't happening. So they, they have a switch in strategy. And now they go into the hall of Tyrannus, which is just, it's a meeting place. And actually, another translation, and there's indications that they would actually go there between the hours of 11 and 4, 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. during the day, because that was the hottest time of the day when a lot of people would, we would say in Mexico, you take a siesta, right? It's a downtime. So they'd work in the morning when it's cool, in the evening when it's cooler. But during the day, they would congregate in these places, and this hall was one of the places they would congregate. And when they did, then Paul saw that as, hey, I've got a captive audience, basically. 
We've got people who come here, they naturally congregate every day, so we're going to do it together. So this is exactly what they did. So look what happens. This continued for two years. They'd already been there a year. So that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, catch the gravity of that. All of the residents of Asia heard the gospel. So I'm going to back up, show you our map again. There it is. All the residents of Asia heard the gospel over a three-year period. Because what was happening, as they were teaching people, and this is what happens in the discipleship chain. Paul would teach somebody, and guess what? They'd go out and teach their friends. They'd go tell their friends about it. That's why we're going to be introducing the Purple Book to you this next year. Super excited about it. We'll teach through it. We'll preach through it. But it's a tool for you to be able to take somebody else through the basic biblical foundations. What is the church? What is the Holy Spirit? You know, what is baptism? What is salvation? What is evangelism? I mean, it's just 13 chapters of that. But it's what Paul would do. He would teach. They would go out and teach. He would teach. And it was assumed. You've got to understand, the mentality of the early disciples was the assumption that when you hear something and it's good news, you're going to go share it with somebody. They did it. They just did it. It was natural. And it went like wildfire. Three years Everyone in Asia heard the gospel. That's a lot of folks. That's a lot of movement. The Holy Spirit working with them. So here we are. Now, this, I love this event. So we're going to hit this, hit the ground running. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. God was showing up. Why? Because He told us already in the gospel of Mark, and these signs will follow them that believe. In other words, where the preaching of the gospel is happening and where salvation is happening, evangelism is going forth, it will be backed up and validated by signs and wonders. Amen. We talked about miracles for 13 weeks in awestruck. Signs and wonders don't pre signs and wonders will follow the preaching of the gospel. As he went, these things were happening. And because they were happening, what are signs and wonders? They're signs that make you wonder. They make you wonder about what's behind that. What else is going on? They point to a greater reality. It's exactly what was happening. So, extraordinary miracles were happening by the hands of Paul. Now listen to this. This is crazy. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons. Now, Paul, do you, understand, do you remember what Paul did besides preaching and teaching? He had to eat, right? Right, he was an itinerant ministry, so, but he also, it was like a bivocational. He actually made tents. He had a trade, and he plied his trade as he went to provide for himself. And so he had handkerchiefs, and aprons were like what a carpenter would wear or what a, an artisan would wear because that was part of their work Get up, And it would get covered in sweat and probably nice and stinky and very hot desert-type environments. And look what would happen. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. This is a wow, not how statement. Amen? Wow. Wow. Now here's the thing. The tragedy of this right here is that some of us are so religious We'll discount this. We'll just say, ah, yeah, that's cool. Keep moving. Moving right on. Nothing to see here, folks. No, there's something to see here, folks. Now, I read about eight different commentaries on this because this is fascinating. 
I thought, I wonder what commentators and theologians actually think about this. Matthew Henry, Barnes Notes, I just went through a ton of them. James Fawcett Brown, I, did, I read all these different ones. Split down the middle. Some said that they believed that it wasn't the actual sweat or the handkerchief or the aprons that had some sort of intrinsic power. It was that they raised the faith level of the recipients of those, that it was their faith in Jesus, but it was represented in these handkerchiefs and aprons. In other words, they were just a symbol of like an anointing or a grace. And, so, and then others said, no, it, according to the way that the, the Scripture is written and constructed, and, and even the reference to touching his skin gives credence to the fact that Paul carried an anointing. We know Elijah had a great anointing in the Old Testament, right? Oh, this is how powerful Elijah... Remember his bones were in an open grave? And a dead dude was thrown in there and he came to life because of the residue on Elijah's bones? Was that not consistent with this? So was the lady touching Jesus' hem of his skirt. Great point, Miss Theologian, because one of the theologians brought that up and said this is akin to that. Or it's akin to when Jesus made spit on the ground, remember, and made clay, put it in the guy's eyes. Was it the clay that healed him, or was it his belief in that? Yeah. That's how I explain things like, for example, I've had people through the years come to me and say, that Benny Hinn guy, he is not a healer. He's a fake and a fraud. And I'm like, well, why do people get genuinely healed at his conferences? Well, I'll tell you why. I'm not saying a word about Benny Hinn, good or bad. I'm just saying that man gets up and proclaims something, but what he does, he has a gift for raising the faith level of people to the point where they believe. And in an atmosphere of belief, God is very much at home. You cannot look at somebody who would be considered a faith healer and say, oh, God doesn't use that. Hello, I know people who have been healed in Benny Hinn conferences. And whether I like his hairdo or not, or the way he preaches, or his style and all that, that is irrelevant. Because I learned the hard way that God often gives me what I need in a package I don't necessarily like. He loves to disrupt my life. Remember the fourth D? Disrupt? That's God's MO. He will disrupt me with things like that, that I just have to go, wow. I don't I can stop trying to do how. Same thing. So we don't know. Was it, was it the sweat on his skin? Maybe. Was it, or was it what those represented? This is from the Apostle Paul. Oh my gosh, my faith to believe is raised. Yeah. We can speculate all day long. Overflow. Overflow. Just show up, show out. So look what happened. Verse 13, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists. Before we just buzz past that statement right there, let me explain that a little bit. There were, especially in Ephesus, but other large metropolitan cities of that time, there were people who went around and they prayed on the fears, superstitions, and the actual conditions that people were in. So these, these itinerant Jewish exorcists, another uh, translation puts it a little bit different, but means itinerant because they were on the move all the time. They'd go from place to place to place. Kind of like the old carnies. They would just go and they'd do their shtick. They'd make a lot of money and profit. 
and they would have a charm or a spell or an incantation that they would convince people that they were getting healed or they're getting delivered of evil spirits. Folks, that still happens in our world today. And they did that, and they would go from place to place to place. And Ephesus was a magnet for those kind of folks. Like I said, Seattle, Austin, Nashville. I mean, it's just, it attracts some interesting folks. Amen? Unless you've never been there, you don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm telling you. So these guys would show up, and they look what it says. Then some of the itinerant Jewish sections, these traveling, we would say charlatans, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. Okay, don't go too quick. So they had noticed, remember Paul was there for three years. Paul probably got pretty recognized after a while. People were like, that's that guy who talks about Jesus. That's the Jesus guy. Can you imagine in their culture, in their city, oh, that's the Jesus. He always talks about Jesus. That's all he talks about. So he was known for that, and these guys had seen him use the name of Jesus because, remember, extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul? He was speaking the name of Jesus, declaring the name of Jesus, and signs were following that pointed to that greater reality of Jesus. So much so that these charlatans said, hey, I think it's that name. He always uses the name of Jesus when he does stuff, and there's miracles that happen. Maybe we can, we can grab that as a part of our little incantation. So, you know, if you play with fire long enough, you're going to get burned, right? Eventually. Odds are, law of averages. So look what happens. So they, they decide, hey, we're going to use this Jesus thing because, man, Paul is getting a crowd. Everybody loves him. Everybody thinks he's amazing. And uh, we, can, we can profit on this. So these seven dudes, look what happens. So they invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you, because they're just copying what Paul said. I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. They don't even know Jesus. They're just saying, they're just trying to use, this is like, this is like Opie on trying to take the authority that Andy had bequeathed and conferred upon Barney. Is anybody with me here? So I thought, I, I thought some of you would get this. So you got Andy, who's the sheriff, and he's got Barney, who, remember, has one bullet, and where does he keep it? In his pocket, not his gun. So you've got Andy conferring authority to Barney, but then Opie, or, or any of the characters, we're talking about how each tier that it goes down, it loses its resolution from the start. It gets less and less and less, to the point where these guys can't even say they know Jesus. Just by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, they have no idea what they're stepping into. It would be like walking up to a hornet's nest with a broomstick, hitting it seven times, and then standing there and wondering why you're getting stung. They, they were stirring something up that they had no idea what they were stepping into. Look what happens. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest. By the way, that's debatable on whether he was actually a Jewish high priest. It could very well be he claimed that. And so when Luke, Dr. Luke, wrote the text, he just used the name he used. But more than likely, he was not a Jewish high priest because he wouldn't have had seven sons parading around as charlatans traveling town to town ripping people off. 
So that was probably just a designation that he himself used to validate his own thing. So seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. Now look what happens. Remember what but means also? And. And the evil spirit answered them. Listen to what he says. This is not insightful. Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? By the way, the word know there is the same word, but it's interesting. He says, Jesus I know. Another translation says, and Paul I know. But actually, the one Jesus I know is actually Jesus I acknowledge. I know, I acknowledge. It's, it's built out of the same word. Jesus I acknowledge. And then he says, and Paul I know about. It's actually a colloquial. So there's a different verb tense of know or nosco that's used here for knowledge. So the first one is, I actually acknowledge Jesus and I know about Paul. That's what they were saying. Isn't that interesting? I found that very... I'm a nerd when it comes to this stuff. I think that's fascinating. So the evil spirit says, look, we acknowledge Jesus. He's the real deal. And Paul, we recognize, we know who he is. But who are you? I don't know about you, but that's about time you better start running, right? You better get out of Dodge. When Amy says, I don't even know who you are, you're no threat. Let me tell you something. Every day you wake up, the enemy should be scared to death. The enemy should be nervous that you woke up this morning. It should tremble. Hell should tremble when we wake up. Thinking, oh no, it's one of those great... They actually, it's a believing believer. Oh, watch out for that one. They know who they are in Christ. They're secure. They're confident. They know who their Lord is. They get it. Stay away from that one. So, look what happens. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them. Jumped on them. Mastered all of them. Handled them. Manhandled them. And overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. I mean, they're just beating a path out of there and they are whooped. We just call it a whooping from where I come from. They just got whooped. They got a whooping. We used another word in front of that, but I'm going to keep it clean here tonight. So, they got whooped. They got a whooping. So, they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Now, look what happens. Look at the response. Here's, I love how God will take anything and turn it for good and use it. God is the ultimate economist. He knows how to leverage everything for the good of the kingdom. So, this is a horrible situation. Somebody's used the name of Jesus who didn't know Jesus, and this should tell us something about what we're using in a sense. Do you know who you are in Christ? Are you confident in the authority that He's given you? Are you confident that when things go bump in the night, you've got authority over it in your house? Are you confident that you can speak to the firmament? I'm going to tell you something. You may or may not believe this, but there was a day when uh, there were some storms coming into Abilene and we were getting, I mean, it looked bad on radar. It was one of those horrible, you know, you pull up your radar, and it was one of those fronts that was moving from the southwest to the northeast, and it was beating a path, and that's scary stuff in West Texas. You, you know what's coming, what's potential, and, you know, of course, they're going, there's a hook echo here, and there's one there, and, you know, we see a tornado out by Haskell, and we see one over by, and so, I mean, it was bad. 
So I told Annette, I said, you know what? The Bible tells me that we've been given conferred authority. We either believe it or we don't. And I said, you know what? I think we have authority over the firmament. So you can think I'm nuts. But I'll tell you what didn't happen. We didn't have a tornado that night. So I go out and I walk around the backyard. And I start to speak to the firmament. I say, in the name of Jesus... I command you in the name of Jesus Christ who has authority over all things on this earth and in the air, who has given me authority as a son, I command you in the name of Jesus to turn. You will not strike our home. You will not strike our community. You will not take out anything in our surrounding community. And I spoke to the firmament. Now, I felt like a kook doing it. I felt like a nutcase. I'm just saying. That's, that's pretty self-conscious when you start going... What am I doing? But I will tell you this. I felt very driven to do that by the Spirit. So here's what happened. Nothing that night. That thing just dissipated. I don't know if I had anything to do with it or not, but I like to think that I participated in something. So not long. It's like a week later. We have a bunch of friends that live over in Argyle and Denton and that area. We ended up living over there at one point. We had a lot of friends from over there. And... They were blowing up Facebook saying, oh my gosh, terrible clouds coming. Seems like Denton, Argyle, that area always gets hit. Lantana, Flower Mound, always seems to get hit there. It just seems like an alley. And terrible clouds were coming their way. And I got on the phone with several of my friends. And I said, you need to go out in your yard and speak to that thing and declare that it will not damage your home. You know what they did? They all ran out. I don't know how many ended up doing it. It was a whole bunch of people... They actually went out in their yard, and they were real-time texting me and Annette. We were all blowing our phones up. As we were watching radar, we were praying in agreement with them. Here, now, you may think that's crazy, but here's what I think. I think faith is practical. You know, I even prayed that tonight. I said, Lord, give me the grace to take these passages and bring them into life where we live, because we need to be practical believers, not just theoretical and theological, but practical. This works in real life. Would it not stand to reason that if God was using Paul to do extraordinary miracles, why wouldn't he use you? Why wouldn't he use me? Amen? Amen. So to me, faith gets just as practical as actually speaking to the firmament. You can think it's crazy. That's okay. But we didn't have any bad stuff happen. So anyway. Psalms 91. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's powerful. Powerful powerful shadow of his wings yeah absolutely so here's what happens so they leave the house beat to a pulp now we gotta land the plane and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus this is how God takes something and turns it both Jews and Greeks all the residents of Ephesus talking a major metropolitan city the word went out and fear all reverence fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord was exalted, extolled, lifted, magnified. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, honored. The name of Jesus was recognized as holy, set apart. Look at verse 18. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. What it did, it created an opportunity for evangelism and people began to come to Jesus Christ. 
And guess what? Paul didn't plan that. He didn't have a strategy for that. He was just there. He was available. And this crazy scenario happens where these guys try to invoke the name of Jesus. They get their tails whooped. And all of a sudden, people are coming to Jesus. Because they recognize there's authority, there's real authority in that name. So the paradox of the gospel is how God uses light, but how He'll also use darkness to leverage for the kingdom. We think the enemy has the corner on darkness. Hello? You do know the enemy's just a created being, right? He's not God. He's not equal to God. There's not a holy arm wrestling war going on that God might win and the enemy might win. You do know that's not the case, right? He's subject. And God separated the light from the dark. Mm-hmm. God's in control, amen? amen? So when darkness shows up, we can get all, oh my gosh, let's go cower in a corner. Or we can go, you know what, I think God's going to do something. I think God's going to leverage this situation and blow our minds. Could we not lean into life that way? into begin to faith and believe, okay, this looks bad right now, but here's what I know about God. He will leverage that for good. Romans 8, 28 is not just a macrame on a wall thing. It's not just a pillow on my granny's couch. And God causes all things to work together for the good of those who believe and those who are called according to His purpose. That is a statement of mission and destiny. Igbok. Not Ichabod. <laughs> Steve came to him and corrected me. You didn't use that right. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. We had this conversation where we were on different planets. It wasn't Ichabod. It was Igbok, which means it's going to be okay. God's in control. God's going to work it out. God is in control. Do you believe that God is sovereign? That means in control. Now, just because the world looks like it's out of control, you got to understand there's what's going on below the line here, and then there's this massive plan and strategy that God's working out. And here's my belief, because the Scripture says, speaks to this, it's going to be okay. He's got this. There will come the renewal of all things. Then the end will come when all the nations have heard the gospel, which, by the way, could be about two years out right now. Every unknown people group right now that is now known there is a strategy right now to get the gospel into their language and to have literally people on the ground in every one of the unknown, unrecognized, which are now known because they've discovered them, which will mean within two years, by 2020, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people will have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Scripture says when that happens, then the end will come. How different would I live if I really believed that within five to ten years, we could see the, the consummation of all things and the renewal and the restoration that God's going to bring? Wow. Sort of gets a little urgency, doesn't it? It kind of stirs things up. We had this conversation in our, in our staff meeting at the bigger thing, all, all of Oak Hill is coming together, and Max challenges. He said, if this is true, which we know the strategy is there, and they already have people committed to do it, and if we believe this is what the Bible says, and what does this say about how we live out the next five to ten years of our lives? Does this change anything? And we all were like, it changes everything. Suddenly the things I was complaining about or twerked about or frustrated about don't matter anymore. It's kind of like when a loved one gets that diagnosis, all of a sudden... The stuff that you were all bothered about doesn't really matter anymore, right? right. 
Life gets real when you get that diagnosis or when there's a loss, a death, whatever. A trauma, a tragedy. Life gets real. I'm telling you. Things are getting real in the kingdom. The world seems to be spinning out of control. It's winding up to something. And this became known, all the residents as both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was lifted. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. They were bringing their stuff and just saying, I'm done. I'm done. Now look what happened. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts. Remember, this was like Austin. This is like everything goes. This is Seattle. Brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. I didn't look up to see how much that was. It's just a lot of money. A lot of, a lot of money. So the value of all the stuff they destroyed in fire. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The kingdom was advanced. But it was advanced not only through the proper teaching of the Scripture, but through this crazy event where these guys tried to invoke the name of Jesus and they got whooped. And it was chaotic. So I want to go back to something we started with. I'm going to go all the way back because I want to show you something. This. Proverbs 14.4, without oxen, a stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. In other words, if you've got power in the stall to get it done, it's going to be a messy stall. That's exactly what that means. There's going to be a mess. So the ministry, work, and activity of the kingdom is messy, it's disruptive, it's awkward, it's beautiful, powerful, transformational, and it is our destiny as sons and daughters of God. It's messy. Annette and I met a young lady named Sonia the other day. We were over in San Antonio, and we had some business to do over there. And Sonia is tatted from head to toe. She's pierced everywhere you can be pierced. And as I stood there, I almost came to tears because the Lord was whispering to me, I love her a lot. And as we're having this conversation, and Annette and I are just being ourselves, Sonia says, and she's not a follower of Jesus at all. In fact, she asked what I did, and when I told her, she was like, what's that? What's, what's a pastor? I've heard of that, but what is it? She had no clue, no point of reference. And as we're talking to Sonia, she says, she says, I just hope that when someday I'll have the same kind of bliss that you and your wife have. And we're like, where did that come from? I, we weren't doing anything but being ourselves. And we were just loving her and just having a conversation with her. And then she said, she said, you guys have the most amazing energy. That's the only word she had for it. You just have this energy. And of course, if I was still a Baptist, I would have said, well, let me tell you what that is. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Power of God at work. Yeah, I would have just blown her off. It just like, would have just dumped out. But instead, I'm going to see her on Monday again. And we're going to continue this conversation. You can call it pre-evangelism. You can call it whatever you want. But sometimes we have to disciple people into evangelism. We have to actually meet them where they are. 
before we take them where we want them to be or where we expect them to be or prefer them to be. And right now, we just need to meet her at the level where she goes, there's just something different about that couple. I don't know what it is. Come on, brother. That's right. We threw a big one. Threw a big one. And we just did it by showing up. That's what this is. And it's going to be messy because her life is a train wreck. It's going to be messy. So if you want it neat and tidy, then you're not going to have any power in the stable. It's going to be clean, but there's nothing there. No power, no horsepower, no oxen power. But if you want to do the kingdom, you're going to have a lot of oxen, and it's going to produce a lot of what? Mess. That's the kingdom. Can we pray? Father, thank you for the time together tonight. Lord, stir our hearts to believe. Stir our hearts to not be satisfied with status quo. Lord, may we never be found to be maintainers of the mundane. But Father, that we would be people who are, who are visionaries and like those who came from Babylon back into Jerusalem said we were like those who dreamed. Father, I'm asking you to ignite dreams again, ignite hearts again. Father, for my brothers and sisters who maybe, maybe you gave them a vision for something and and life got complicated and distractions came and they lost their vision, they lost their dream. Father, would you help them recover their dream? Restore the vision. Father, may we dare to dream again. May we dare to believe. May we dare to get our hopes up when the whole world says, don't get your hopes up. You'll just be disappointed if you do. Lord, may we defy the culture. Defy the spirit of the age. Defy the spirit of the world. And say, no, 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 I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm going to have high hopes. I'm going to have high expectation. I'm going to believe. I'm going to be a believing believer. Even if I look foolish to the world, I'll, be, I'll make God smile. He'll, he'll love it. So, Father, we want to be willing to be fools for Christ. Would you use us to do something in us, through us, that is so beyond who we are, that all we can say is, that was God. Only God could do that. I pray for my friends here. Father, we've got a few days left in this week. Would you grant us opportunities as we traffic out in the world, maybe in that job we don't like or that situation we feel stuck in or, or maybe that, that underpaid thing that we're doing, but we're like, why are we here? Lord, would you help us to see a purpose beyond the paycheck? A purpose beyond just job gratification, satisfaction, to know that maybe you put us there for a season for a reason. And maybe there's somebody there that you've, you've given us an assignment to connect with and to love into a journey with Christ. Would you open our hearts to that? Father, would you give us the grace to not be afraid to believe for the impossible and to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen and amen. God bless you. Have an amazing week. See you next time.